Hi, this is Doug Beecham. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the previous podcast, please go do that. Because in that podcast, I set the stage for what's going to be a study of the book of Hebrews, particularly in light of the uses of the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews. I make reference to a commentary there written by Gareth Lee Cockerell. Cockerell is a professor at Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. And this commentary is published by Erdman's. It's in the New International Commentary on the New Testament series, and it's simply titled The Epistle to the Hebrews. It is an outstanding resource, and uh, I hope you'll take advantage of it. I want to begin by talking to you out of Hebrews chapter 1. And in Hebrews chapter 1, there are a variety of places where we see the Old Testament being used. This means, as we look at this, that the, the, the readers and the listeners of this sermon written by somebody who has a pastoral heart for what perhaps may be a local house church, uh, he has this pastoral heart for them. He understands that they are, number one, they're probably Jews who have come to faith in Yeshua, into Jesus as the Messiah. There may be Gentiles in there with them, uh, and Gentiles who have come to some understanding of, of the Old Testament Scriptures. Regardless of the mix of them, one thing is absolutely certain. They know the Old Testament Scriptures, and, and the pastor who is writing this sermon to them, he knows these Scriptures well, and he intentionally is rooting everything he is going to say back into the Old Testament to see the fulfillment of all of that. The, uh, I, made, I, I realized, I think I made a, a reference in the previous podcast to a, a quote that I'd, I don't think I completed. It was a comment that was either made by N.T. Wright or by uh, uh, Christopher Wright, both spelled W-R-I-G-H-T. And uh, the, the comment was quite simply something to the effect that the Old Testament is a story that is looking for an ending. For us as Christian believers, we see that ending being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we see that not just simply the ending, but Jesus being, being foretold from the very beginning, the Messiah of Israel being foretold very at the very beginning of creation of, of Jesus' role in creation, in redemption, and what God's purposes are in the world. Notice how Hebrews begins. It begins with, with reference back into the Old Testament era. It begins with God speaking in the diverse ways in the past that he spoke to the fathers by the prophets. The fathers would be an acknowledgment of who, who the Jewish ancestors were. It could be a reference back to the patriarchs. It could be a reference back to generation after generation of godly men and women who have received the word of God, who've heard the prophetic witness, and that that's how God did once speak. But now God, God is speaking differently in chapter 1, verse 2. Now God is speaking in these last days. The Greek word for last is eschaton. There is an eschatological dimension of how this, this writer, this preacher, 
is viewing what's going on in Jesus Christ, that now God has spoken to us by his Son. The Son is the heir of all things, and it was through the Son that the worlds were made. That is, that is so important to talk about and to be aware that this book begins by placing Jesus. This is, by the way, consistent with the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, for instance. It's consistent with the gospel writer, with the evangelist John, who talks about who Jesus is as the Word made flesh, and everything that was made was made by him and through him. That Jesus, as the as eternal with the Father, the the Son, who doesn't have a beginning, He was not created like the angels were. He has existed for eternity. Existence is Him, and and the Son was there at the beginning in the creation. You find hints of this pointed out in 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 the Psalms, for instance, and in the Proverbs, uh, where wisdom is personified as being present and active in creation. Wisdom being personified as a role of the Holy Spirit. So the creation of the cosmos as we know it is something that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all engaged in. But now Hebrews 2 wants to tie, wants to tie the Son of God directly to that. It's important that a little bit later in chapter 2 is the first time that we have the name Jesus appear. So we don't yet have Jesus' name identified. What we do have is setting the stage of who Jesus turns out to be as the eternal Son of God. We find out that the Son is the revealed brightness of the divine glory, and He's the express image of the Father. That's an interesting word, the express image. Our English word character comes from it. It, it has to do with, with, uh, with a mold or an engraving that is exactly what the original was meant to be. And we find that the Son upholds all things. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1-2 tells us. The word of his power is his rhema. This is not the logos of his power. Jesus is the logos. His word, and, and I think of this in a very dynamic way when I think about how the, the entire universe, the created universe, uh, that which we can see with the naked eye, that which we can see thus far with the various kinds of telescopes uh, that are out in space, and then beyond, which we don't even, we're not even capable of seeing yet. Jesus created all of this. And Jesus upholds all of this by the rhema, the word he is speaking that, that, that has put everything in its rightful order. The, the, the moon is on its proper orbit. We are on our proper orbit around the sun, staying exactly where we need to be to not freeze to death, to not burn up on this planet, all because of creation and the creator who has this divine will and this divine purpose and the work, the ongoing work of Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's upholding the entire cosmos by the word of his power. What a wonderful picture this is for us, that, that the God we serve, the God revealed to us in the Bible, he, this is not a deistic 
uh, god of a clock who who set the clock and put it up, and we're just sort of running on automation. Uh, God is not some kind of advanced uh, microchip. God is intimately concerned with everything in the cosmos, including everything about our lives. The one who who created the stars, the moon, the earth, everything that we see, Jesus tells us in Matthew that, that this God even knows how many hairs are on our head. God knows who we are. And, and this care, this providential loving care is being revealed in who the Son is. He goes on to say that the Son has taken his place. Uh, when you're reading chapter, the end of, uh, you pick up at uh, chapter 3. When he had by himself purged our sins, that's his death on the cross, sat down to the right hand of the majesty on high, and then it goes on to say that the son has become much, uh, uh, the phrase that's used there, so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. That reference to the angels is interesting because the angel issue is going to follow up in this particularly in this first chapter a little bit. It may be that there were some Christians in, in this congregation who had become somewhat enamored with uh, either forms of Gnosticism or with some forms of angel worship. Uh, there, were, there was some writing of, uh, of, I think they were called the Ebionites, of early Christians who who viewed Jesus as, as simply another angel. Well, Jesus is not another angel. We know that Satan was a fallen angel. We know that there were angels who fell with him. But we also know that all the angelic hosts, including Satan, are created beings. Jesus was never created. You're going to find this push by the preacher to make sure that his congregants understand there's really no comparison between Jesus and between any other created being. When you, you, you see this picture now that where, where Jesus is the one who has set this stage and is greater than all the angels and all, all that's related to him. I want to follow up so, and sort of wrap up a little, bit, a little bit of this with you for a moment. There are some passages in, uh, in chapter 1 where uh, particularly the Psalms are cited. Um, you find that uh, Psalm, chapter, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 is cited. And also 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14 is cited. Now, both of those are important. The, the citation out of Psalm, Psalm 2 is found in verse 5. You are my son. This is Hebrews 1, 5. You are my son, Today I've begotten you. And then in the latter part of verse 5 is the cessation from 2 Samuel 7. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. The connection with 2 Samuel 7 is important because it connects Jesus to the divinic lineage. 2 Samuel 7 is this, uh, this word from, from God to David that he's going to always have a king uh, out of David's lineage who will be the king, uh, who, who will be the representative of, of God on earth. That king ends up being 
Jesus who's born in Bethlehem, where, where David was, was from. And so you've got this important connection between creation, between God announcing that uh, who his son is, and God's connection of the son with the divinic lineage. You find also a citation in Deuteronomy 3243, which, by the way, is is in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the of the Septuagint, is that this is found there. It's also found in Psalm 97, 7. That is in verse 6, let all the angels of God worship him. That's the Deuteronomy Septuagint portion that contains that, as well as Psalm 97. You find in verse 7, Psalm 104, verse 4. Now, both of those Verse 6 and verse 7 out of Hebrews 1 are about the angels and the contrast between who Jesus is, the Son is, and the angels. And then you find again a messianic psalm beginning in verses 8 and 9. A psalm out of verse out of Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom, etc., etc. Then verse 10. You've got, again, another citation that's out of Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. This is a a creation psalm. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And then finally the citations close at the end of verse 12 with another, another citation back to the Messianic promise. A psalm, Psalm 110, verse 1. Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Clearly, Jesus, it is made, Jesus is far superior to the angels. Secondly, there's clear continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament through the Son. Third, the Son is the continuity that ties together creation and the divine plan that's found in the Messianic Psalms prophesied there. Fourth, the Son is the fulfillment of God's promise to David, all again connected to the Messianic Psalms. All of this put together shows the triumph and and the reality, the foundation of who the Son is. And it's out of that that when we come to our next podcast, chapter 2 will begin to flow and begin to clearly identify who the Son is. Thanks for taking time to listen. Look forward to joining you in the next podcast.